We are in the book of Psalms, and I was thinking earlier in the week, okay, we are doing a Route 66, a a study through God's Word, one book at a time, one book a week. We want to get that big picture. What is God's revelation about? As God has revealed Himself to us in these books of the Bible, what is it all about? What's a big picture view? And so last week we looked at Job real life answers and there's there's wrong answers given in job and then there's right answer given in job and that job in the end is going to trust himself to god no matter the present circumstances we come to the book of psalms and it helps us in the midst even of stuff like job one of the reasons you see my uh, my stand this morning it's a little it's a little worn isn't it this is probably the oldest music stand in the church i think this was with us in our founding 150 years ago but life is like that, isn't it? Life's like that music stand. It's, it's worn. It's, it's a little scraped up. It's a little rusty at times. And uh, sometimes in the midst of those experiences, we don't even, we don't feel like, we don't know how to worship God. Okay, you hear about something in the news. I mentioned Pakistan. But what about when your life is having stuff like that, stuff that shouldn't happen? Stuff that's not right, stuff that's not fair. And we look at Job, and Job, Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He stubbornly continues to worship God. And yet, uh, we don't always feel like it. And then when the bottom drops out, we don't know how to go there. And that's one of the things the Psalms do for us. So I'm thinking, well, how do I teach the book of Psalms in one Sunday morning? Well, it worked out. This was the day that we're bringing lunch anyway, so we'll just settle in, and we're going to start in Psalm 1, okay? So Psalm 1, open your Bible again, back to the Psalms, if you will, and in the Pew Bibles, it's page 448. I begin reading this for the kids. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands, who nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. You see some progression there as well from uh, um, walking and uh, standing and sitting. There's a, there's a making oneself at home there. There's a progression. But instead, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I've talked about the book of Psalms this morning, but did you realize there are books of Psalms? There are five books of Psalms. So we we really shouldn't then talk about the book of Psalms, we should talk about the books of Psalms, and that's why I put that in your notes this morning, real worship, the books of Psalms. That wasn't a typo, that was real. The books of Psalms, because here in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, by the way, Psalm 1 and 2 are introductory to the Psalms as a whole. They were initially together as one, and they were meant to introduce the rest of the book. And it starts off, in our English we read, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you were reading that in Hebrew, it would say Torah. His his delight is in the Torah. And in the Torah, he meditates day and night. What's that mean? What difference does that make? The Torah is is properly the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah is the foundation for the rest of the Old Testament. To put it briefly, the Torah, God reveals himself in these five books. 
And then the historical books record how God's people live in light of that revelation. How God's people continue to live or not live in light of God's revealing himself in the Torah. And they receive blessing, and they also are held, held accountable at times. The prophetic books, the prophets are, are speaking, confronting the people concerning how they are not living in light of the Torah. The prophets are not just thinking up new stuff to say or God's giving them new messages. The prophets are expositing. They're explaining the books of Moses, the Torah, first five books, in relation to the people's lives today. How they are, are, are living or should live in light of that or how they are not living in light of that or how God is going to complete that which he promised and set in motion in those first five books. So, the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are foundational to the rest of the Old, Old Testament. Have I got you there? So then, the Psalms are given to us in a way, in five books, that are patterned after those first five books. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this in just a couple of minutes, so stay with me, but a lot of people are, are not aware of the pattern. So I wanted to show you this pattern that when you open the Psalms and when you read, I want you to have God's bigger story in your mind. That's why we're on Route 66. The bigger story in mind helps us make sense of bits of it. It helps us make sense of the mile marker that we're finding ourselves on when we're reading and in the midst of life. Okay, so... The, there, there, are, there are, in fact, I gave you a chart of this on the back of your notes, and I highlighted the five books in that gray shadowing on the front page. There are, there are five books corresponding to the five books of Moses, and there's a theme among them. And I, I'd like to just review quickly through those five books of the Psalms. So we will actually teach through the books of Psalms this morning. Book number one is the first 41 psalms, including the two introductory, so up through Psalm 41. What's in there? The, if, if this correlates back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the book of creation and humanity. God makes man in his own image. And then there's the fall. Humanity has fallen. Humanity is broken. And we see the conflicts that come out of that. There's, there's conflict uh, between man and God. There's separation. There's conflict then between man and man. Um, among humanity, there's conflict. Families are driven apart and so forth. Psalm 1 opens up, blessed is the man. Psalm 2 has the nations and the peoples plotting a vain thing, talking about the, the problems of man and the rebellion against God on a national public scale. Uh, Psalm 8 is that psalm that, that speaks of of creation. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength. Verse 3, when I look at the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? Considering creation, Genesis, what is man that you are mindful of him? Genesis once again. Psalm 40. 
the closing of that first book of the Psalms, in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. Hey, there's Joseph's experience out of the book of Genesis. And there's also, there's the experience of humanity now separated from God, waiting for God, longing to be brought home again. All right? Psalm 40 gets even better than that. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray. There's echoing back to Psalm 1. But in verse 6, in sacrifice, Jesus himself as the perfect man, the sinless man, who can then intercede for the rest of humanity, Jesus quotes about himself. He quotes Psalm 40. In sacrifice and offering you have not, not delighted, but... In ear you have dug for me. Jesus is saying when he quotes this song, and in the original Hebrew it says, In ear you have dug for me. And our English, our English um, translators have done various things with that verse, not sure what to do with, In ear you have dug for me. Because it's saying two things. We were created by God. An open ear you made. But an ear you dug out, you opened my ear so that I would hear you. And Jesus is the man who hears God and responds. But all that's in context of Genesis in humanity. Jesus is the perfect man. Let's go to Exodus. If you go to the book of Exodus, correlate that to Psalm book 2, which begins in Psalm 42. And this is one of those well-known songs, As the deer pants for the waters. The flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Well, you can identify with that. But put that in the context of Exodus. Put that in the context of a people in bondage and slavery, where Pharaoh is, is, is oppressing and they're saying, where is God? Why has God left us here? That's Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 and 43 ask that question. Psalms 42 to 44 are a petition for help. Psalms 45 to 50 are emphasizing the fact that God is king, not Pharaoh. You see how they correlate to Exodus now. You get to Psalm 51, that cleansing psalm, that forgiveness psalm that expresses David's own heart after his grievous sin. And yet there is rescue, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing. Purge me with hyssop, he says, and I will be clean. Hyssop was the, was the material that was used to take the blood of the Passover lamb and sprinkle it on the doorposts of each home so that the people would be sheltered. When, when the angel of death would come over and take the life of the firstborn all across the land of Egypt. But because blood was applied from that Passover lamb, the blood was applied to the doorpost by hyssop. And so when, when David uses that, that, that imagery, when he uses those phrases, he's got Passover in his mind, which occurs in the book of Exodus. So when we, we read Psalms, when, when I read Psalm 42... From an Exodus bondage oppressing mindset, I get even more of the emotion that's there. Okay, what do we get out of Psalm, out of Book 3? Book 3 correlates to, it's more liturgical. 
This is the book that is full of psalms that are written by the Levites, or the sons of Korah. And in, in, in book three of the psalms, starting at Psalm 73, 73 itself really epitomizes this. Turn over to Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. The wicked carry on and prosper, and they do well. They speak with, they scoff and speak with malice. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths even against the heavens. They speak against God, and there's no consequence. They get away with it. In fact, they seem to do well says, I don't understand this. It seems like, verse 13, it seems like in vain or for no purpose I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I'd said, I will speak this way, I will speak of my complaint, God's not being fair, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. You look out there at what happens in life, and it doesn't seem right. This almost sounds like Job. It doesn't seem right until, verse 17, it didn't seem right until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. When I went into the sanctuary of God, when I went to the temple or when I went to the tabernacle, and there in the songs and in the sacrifices, I was reminded of the majesty as well as the judgment of God. And I remembered my own rescue, and I remembered those who have no rescue, who have no other hiding place. I remembered their end. Why do we come to church each week? One of the reasons we come to church is to be reminded of how things really are. Reminded that God really is king. To be reminded that there is a redeemer no matter my sin. To be reminded that God so loved me that he gave his son for my forgiveness. To be reminded that the Son of God who died for my sin, who died for your sin, is also risen from the dead, and that same Son of God is coming again to reign as King. It may seem like people are getting away with scoffing at God for now. But the Son is coming. The King is coming. That's Psalm 73. And we're reminded of that when I come into the sanctuary. We're reminded of that when we come together as church. Not in this building. But we come together as body. The church as a body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we come into sanctuary. We come into God's temple when we come together as Christians to together worship him. And as we do that, we must be reminded that things about our worship must remind us of our God and his Savior and eternity and how it really is compared to how it seems in day-to-day life. It's one of the reasons we come to church, that we, we, we need to feed our souls. We need to remind ourselves of what's really true. Something else about the temple in Psalm 85, this is, this is worth seeing as well. I put a little cross next to Psalm 85 and um, verse 10 and 11. Psalm 85, verse 10 and 11 explains the temple. What's going on at the temple with those sacrifices? What happened at the cross? The, the cross is an intersection. 
Psalm 85, verse 10 and 11 explain it. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. A faithful man is looked down upon by a faithful God from heaven. And there is peace made. God is righteous, God is holy, God is just. He cannot look upon iniquity. And yet, at the cross of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of God's righteousness, there is peace with sinful humanity. Because the righteousness of God has been fully satisfied in the death of Christ in our place. So now, being justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. You see, that's temple. That's what every sacrifice pointed to. Every sacrifice where a, a sinful person would come and they would confess their sins upon, onto the sacrifice that they brought as a substitute in their place, and there that sacrifice would be killed and would be offered in the temple. And it was a horrible, bloody scene. And it reminded that that's what sin does. That's what sin costs. And it pointed to the ultimate sacrifice would come so that God would be just and yet be able to declare us righteous and make us right with him. Righteousness and peace kissed. They come together at the cross. That's sanctuary, Psalm, uh, uh, Psalms book three. Book four is numbers. We'll just turn to one, Psalm 95. Psalm 95 echoes the experience of wandering in the wilderness. Psalm 95 and verse 6. See if this sounds familiar to what you remember about the book of Numbers and God's people brought out of Egypt but not yet into their inheritance, wandering around, waiting. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Well, there's a call to worship. But in what context? It's in a waiting context. It's a not having yet received our full promise. We still wait. Look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, out in the wilderness. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and they put me to the proof, though they had seen my, my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Psalm 95 is, is recalling that, that numbers wandering experience where they refuse to receive God's promise. They refuse to believe him, and so they wander in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. And there they, they complain to God at the waters of Massa. They complain to God at Meribah that he has not provided for them when he has. And so that wandering in the wilderness and not having yet received what was promised is a reminder to us, as you read those psalms in book four, there will be that wilderness aspect that will emerge from within them. It's not the theme of every psalm, but it's background. Finally, in book five, the word of God, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 1.12 and verse one, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. A psalm 119, that psalm that every verse, a couple hundred verses of Psalm 119, the center of your Bible when you open it up, it's about the word. And the book of Deuteronomy is that second word, that second law, that reminder of what it was that God had spoken, the covenant that he had made with his people. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart 
I've made a reservoir there. A place where I have taken and stored your word so it would be there on the ready when I needed it so that I will not sin against you. That's, that's what the kids do in Awana. That's why we ask for your help there because they're storing up God's word in their heart so that they might not sin against God. Psalm 137 verse 1 also speaks of Deuteronomy and reminds of that trip to Babylon when they would not continue in God's covenant. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. We remembered Jerusalem. We remembered what God had given us, what God had promised us, and yet we turned away from it, and now we have been taken away from God's blessing as a consequence. That's Deuteronomy. That's Psalms Book 5. So there's a, there's a correlation. All of that to tell you this. The Psalms are about God's revelation. And God has spoken to us in his word. And if the psalmist, as, they, as this book was composed, originally the first writings are, are from Moses. There's some psalms of Moses. The last compiling was done in the time of Ezra. And as they're compiling this and they're making an obvious effort to correlate the psalms in five books that, that correlate to the five books of Moses and the covenant that God established with his people, the original word, it's because... God has revealed himself to us in his word. And the takeaway out of that, if nothing else, is this. Make time. Make time to know God from his word. God has spoken to us in his word. He showed himself to us. Take the time then to know him there. It was, it was, it was discussed at a, at a group I was at this last week. The, the question arose again. Why has God revealed himself? Why has God spoken? Why does anybody speak? I, that, group's, I, that group is helpful to me. Well, it's the young adults group, and Julie and I have, were invited to start attending them, and it makes us feel younger. <laughs> you know, all our, all our adult kids left home, so we're just gathering some new ones. But why has God revealed him? Why has God spoken? Why does anybody speak? I speak to you because I want to be known. A conversation starts because I want you to know me. God has spoken to us because he wants us to know him. He made us to know him. What is our response of worship? Our response to worship is to make time to know God from his word. Do you do that? Do you carve out some time in the morning? If the morning was too busy, do you make sure before you go to bed, you turn off the TV and instead, and by the way, just practical advice, did you know that if you're watching a screen, whether it's TV, computer, or tablet, you're watching a screen for 30 minutes before bed, you will not sleep as well. But a page of text doesn't do that, so I've got a deal for you. Turn the TV off, put the computer away, and for that last 20 or 30 minutes before you go to bed, get out your Bible and look at words on a page again. Go to the Psalms. And your eyes will not be tricked by the blue light into thinking it's still daytime, and your mind will also be able to drift off to sleep. And as you go to sleep then, after spending a little time in God's Word, your mind will be reflecting on what it was you learned about Him there instead of all the other stuff. Okay, so make time to know God from his word. 
Let's go back to Psalm 1, and that's where we left off. We were just starting our journey through the Psalms in Psalm 1, and, and uh, he meditates on his Torah day and night. That's what led us through the rest of the book. So back to Psalm 1 again. I didn't lose my place. We're still in Psalm 1. We've got a little time left. It's, it's not uh, evening yet. And Psalm 1 as well, as we're talking to the kids about, it involves who you listen to. The worship of God is described in the Psalms, and if Psalm 1 is introductory, Psalm 1 tells us something we should keep in mind as we read the rest of them. Psalm 1 tells us that worship is not merely an at-the-sanctuary thing. Worship is an everyday thing. Worship is a who you're walking with and who you're listening to thing. Worship is a where are you sitting in relation to the scoffers thing. It's a, it's a who are you standing with or where do you take your stand. Worship is about the choices of everyday life. It's not just about church time. It's not just about devotional time. Worship is a way of life. So, Romans chapter 12, on the basis of the mercies of God, Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. To present our bodies to God through the day, that is worship. So then, real worship as described in the Psalms, and right up front in Psalm 1 is an introduction. Psalm 1 is that private individual life. Psalm 2 is more of a public. It's the, it's the together. And could I suggest this? That out of Psalm 1, the individual, comes the corporate and the public expression. You can identify with Psalm 2 where it says, Why do the nations rage? The peoples together plot a, a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. That's a group thing. That's a society thing against the Lord. And you say, yeah. But where does that start? That starts with the individual. That starts with a personal. Oh, oh we want to take on the king's. We want politically to organize and to take on the rulers and to make change there. What I would suggest is this. One life at a time. One person at a time. Each new person born again by the Spirit of God, born into relationship and worship of the true God by faith in Christ, becomes another worshiper who will have influence and impact upon the circle of people around them. One life at a time is where we will make, the, one life at a time is how we got into this mess, one life at a time is how change will occur. It has been said that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. Have you heard that before? And it talks about the influence one life upon another in this case, the mother's life upon her children. But one life upon another, that influence ends up shaping something far bigger. You have no idea. What God has given us to do is to worship him genuinely, authentically, in our lives before the people around us, that they would worship him as well. Takeaway is simply this. Choose to worship God in every day's choices. The everyday choices of every day. Each day's, every day's choices. Choose there to worship God. What you choose to do 
What you choose not to do is not merely activity, it is not busyness, it is not merely employment, but how you do it is how you worship God. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your work becomes a place of worship. Your family becomes a place of worship. How you love your wife as Christ loved the church, man, that becomes how you worship God. You say, God, I worship you. And God says, that's wonderful. Do you love your wife? Do you lead your children? Are you teaching them the things they need to know about life and about me? That's how we worship him. Choose to worship God in the everyday choices. That's what the psalmist says, blessed is the man. And finally, these psalms are given to us to lead us into worship. Psalms are to help us worship. We should let them do that. I want to invite you to turn again in in the first book, book one of the psalms, to Psalm 19. And psalms are just good for reading rather than explaining. So let's just read another one. Okay, I'll do a little explain at the end. Let's read our way into it. Psalm 19. This is a neat psalm. It talks about God's general revelation in creation and how that moves to his special revelation, his, his unique revelation of his words spoken to us and written for us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. And their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, it's circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. And from there he moves to the law of the Lord. Nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. And as God's truth is light, there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. More than prosperity, more than things pleasurable is to desire God's word, God's revealing, God's speaking about himself so that we would know him. That's more important than any prosperity, gold, any pleasures like the sweetness of honey. Even the simplest pleasures of life don't compare to knowing God. Moreover, by then is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward. Verse 12, who could discern his errors? Now it gets personal again. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Finally, verse 14. I want to stop here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the musings of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. The Psalms give us a lot of language about God. 
O Lord Yahweh, the self-existent one, the covenant-keeping God, the great I Am who will keep what he has promised, who reveals himself to Moses to bring his people out of bondage. And And Moses says, well, who shall I say send me? And he says, I am who I am, Yahweh. He gives him his name. He's the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, the Lord. The Lord is our rock. The Lord's our rock. In him we hide a shelter in a time of storm. The Lord is our refuge in time of need, a very present help in time of trouble. The Lord is our rock. We can rely upon him. The Lord is our redeemer. It speaks of salvation. You find these names for God all through the Psalms. God shows himself in these Psalms of worship. He tells us about himself so that we'll know him. Colorful language, poetic language. That's the Psalms. And then he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. How will that be? The Psalms are given to us for expression of worship. This psalm can be true for you. It can be true for me. It's, it's how many of you use the psalms already. You don't know how to pray. You don't know where to read. You open the psalms. And now you might be thinking, well, am I, in, am I thinking about creation and humanity today or am I thinking about deliverance? Am I going to go to book one, Psalms 1 to 42, am I, or 41, or am I going to go to book two, start out with Psalm 42? What's in my mind? Am I thinking about this life feels like wandering in the wilderness? Maybe I'm going to go to book four of the Psalms. But wherever you turn, you open it up, and I don't know how to pray, but I simply read. You know that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations, that's not just internal thoughts, that's mumblings and murmurings. It's kind of like somebody who's trying to remember a verse and so they keep saying it over to themselves. Not really out loud, but they're kind of mumbling it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever mumble to yourself God's word? When you're reading your own devotional time, do you always read silently? Does your mind wander? Mine does. I'm reading silently and my mind goes off in other directions. My eyes keep going down the page. But my mind's way over there somewhere. Like, get back here. One of the ways that I keep my mind there is by mumbling. Just reading kind of partly out loud what it is that I'm reading. Forming the words with my lips. And use these words. My point is this. There are many a time when we don't know how to pray. There are many times when we don't know what to say. Use these words. These words begin with Moses, worked all the way through Ezra, all the way into the New Testament. The church grabbed hold of these and said, if we've got the Psalms, we don't even need a hymnal. These words have been given to God's people to give us words to say that will meet the cry that's in our hearts and verbalize them. I would challenge you, if you want to worship God, You want to do something a little different in how you worship God, simply pray these words. Go to the Psalms, and like saints over and over before you, it doesn't have to be new. Like saints for hundreds and thousands of years before you, read and pray these words. And there you will know that the words of your mouth, the meditations of your heart, are acceptable in his sight.
They've been given to you by God himself. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you join me? Father, thank you that you have, you desire us to worship, you desire us to know you, and it's not merely in a cognitive, um, logical way. We don't just want to know facts about you. You want to be in relationship with us. You have not only written us instructions, you've not only written us letters, but you've also written us poems that describe your own heart, that help us express our heart back to you. Oh, Lord, you want to hear these things from us. Father, would you just remind us as a people this week to use these words right back to you, to say them, to sing them, to pray them, that the words of our heart would be acceptable to you. Lord, that we would give our lives to you. Fathers, we receive this offering now. Would you use this simply as a, as a part of our giving ourselves back to you because you gave your son for us? We thank you for our Savior, and it's in his name we pray. It's in his name we give.